sanctuary, there is an update meeting about the 44 Wakeman project, okay? So if you wanna know about Pastor Dan and Tara and the Van Horn family's house and all the updates and the craziness that is going on over there, um, I don't know if you saw, but like they blew the roof off, they added an extra story, lots of stuff is happening. So if you wanna know about that, you can stay after service right in your seat here in the sanctuary, okay? Yes? Yes. If you do not want to stay for that meeting, you're welcome to stay at church. You just can't stay in here. So the gathering hall is a great other option. Okay, the next announcement. Um, this is a save the date on September 11th is our kickoff Sunday. So that's getting back into the school year, the fall. Um, kids programs will start again that day. Um, and so... Yeah, a new adult discipleship class starts that day, which if you haven't been part of Mr. Walters, which he gets annoyed with me for calling him Mr. Walters still, but that's how I know him and that's how he will forever be in my head. Um, if you wanna be part of Bob Walters' adult discipleship class, um, he is such a good teacher. He's an amazingly gifted teacher. And so if you haven't learned from him yet, please consider attending his adult discipleship class. Um, and we're also on that September 11th date, we'll be having um, a welcome for our new members of the church. We're gonna have a church barbecue, which is after the service on church property, so right outside. So a really fun day. So please mark September 11th in your calendar as a wonderful day to spend with your church family here, okay? And the last announcement is um, that connection cards are back. So if you have started attending through COVID, you probably don't know what these are because we couldn't touch anything. So, but now we can. So um, in the back of your seat, there are these beautiful connection cards. And so if you want to be more involved with what is going on at Trinity, they're located in the little back pocket of your seat or in the seat in front of you if you want to steal the person in front of you, their connection card. Um, but it's to update any of your information. It's so that you can join the email list. Um, all of those great ways of being connected, hence connection card. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is it for announcements. Let's pray, okay? God, thank you so much that we have a beautiful place to come and worship you, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you... Um, just love to meet us here. I thank you that you love to hear us sing to you. You love to hear us um, just be here in your presence. And so, God, I pray that this morning um, we would just be able to focus our eyes on you, that we'd be able to focus our hearts on you as well, God, that this would be a time that we can set apart and kind of sacrifice this time um, in our week to just glorify you and praise your name. I thank you so much. Um, for the songs that we're about to sing and that we have these tools um, just to grab a hold of scripture and put it in our hearts, Lord. In your holy and precious name, amen. amen. All right, if you'd like to stand with us and sing.
walk with thee. And I know I had never heard it, actually. Um, but Kate tells me it's a blast from the past. Um, but the lyrics are just so beautiful. The refrain is, just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. And what a prayer to ask God, like, please, I just want my walk with you to be closer. Please, Jesus, help me do that. And so that's what this song is. take a step out of line with you, Jesus. God, please be with Pastor Dan as he comes up to preach. Bless his words, Jesus. We love you. We pray all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen.
love that song because it talks about this idea of uh, this ongoing closer and closer walk with thee, right? I mean, sometimes as Christians, we think of the, the Christian way of being as walking this way and you're good, right? Like, this is how you live as a Christian, rather than this idea that the way of following Jesus is this ever-increasingly close walk with Jesus, that we're, we're day by day growing closer and closer to Jesus as we trust in him and follow his way. You know, um, I'm thinking uh, of this past week, and uh, a dear brother in Christ went home to be with the Lord. Chris Dan, who oftentimes served in our tech booth, and uh, he and his wife Judith have been longtime members of our church, and, and, and uh, recently Chris was fighting an illness, and, and uh, the Lord chose to take him home, to, to bring him even closer than he is this side of heaven. And so uh, we celebrate Chris's faith. We celebrate his life. We acknowledge that he lived his life in this way, an ever closer walk with Jesus. And uh, this past week, the Lord safely guided him across to the, the shores of his kingdom. And, uh, and we're going to be celebrating his life this week then and celebrating his faith on Thursday morning at 11 a.m. So love for you to join us for that uh, as we um, are starting to kind of put the pieces of, of information, the details together um, and, and plan to celebrate uh, his life and faith and show Judith our love and support. And so uh, hopefully we'll see you there for that. This morning, uh, we are starting a new series, a series called Misquoted, which I'm excited for. I think it's going to be fun because uh, it's taking a look at the scriptures and, and really kind of pushing us to challenge, do we understand rightly how God has revealed himself to us, how he's written these things down in the scriptures for us to know him uh, and, and follow him? And so uh, I'm excited for that. But before we do, I realize I'm kind of jumping the gun. I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for Chris, pray for our time in the Word, but pray for Judith as well for strength as, as they walk through this time of grieving. So would you bow your heads with me and allow me to lead us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, uh, and we are, Lord, we, we come with a mix of emotions. Lord, we are uh, overjoyed with the truth that we have a hope in Jesus Christ, that, that this life is not the end, but that there is hope for eternity of crossing the shores and not having uncertainty as to what will be next, but a certainty to know that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we too will be seen as righteous and whole through him as we cross into eternity and walk with Jesus hand in hand, face to face for all eternity. And we pray, Lord, that that truth would be evident as we celebrate Chris's life. As we, uh, as we support Judith and, and, and her boys and, and encourage them to, to lean in and, and to depend upon your promises and, and to, to pay attention to your nearness to them during this time. Lord, we, uh, we love them. We love you. And we, we pray on their behalf that you would be near to them and comfort them. And Lord, we, we pray for our time in your word that this is not a, this is not a teaching time. This is not a a time for us just to um, feel satisfied that we heard the pastor share what was on his mind this week. But Lord, this is a, a, a holy and, and set apart time where your word, what you have spoken is revealed to us. Give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts that are courageous to embrace and believe and trust your word, that we too might seek to walk ever nearer to you, Jesus, day by day by day. And so, Lord, be with us in this time and in this space. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is the start of our new series called, we're calling Misquoted, which is those times and spaces where we misquote scripture, where we use it uh, kind of out of context or out of the ways that God intended for us to. And so our plan is for the next five weeks to be taking various passages to, to study and to explore, which is kind of a fun thing to do in the summer, right? Summer is kind of this uh, irregular time where our schedules are, are changing, we're, doing, we're going away for quick trips, we're coming back and things like that. And so it's just kind of a nice different way of of walking by faith in the summer, of taking these five weeks and just exploring these passages a little bit more closely. You may remember we did something similar to this last year where we took a look at some of the passages of scripture that that just aren't in our Bibles, right? Things we say, but they're not really there in the Bible. Things like money is the root of all evil or God helps those who help themselves. These are popular statements that we use or hear or even attribute to the Bible, but it's just, it's not true. What we do find in the scriptures is statements or passages that share a similar sentiment or that that sound familiar, that sound like this, right? Uh, Passages like, um, not, not necessarily money is the root of all evil, but what Paul says to Timothy, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Very close, very similar, but they're two very different things. See, scripture has been misquoted for a long, long time, basically since God first spoke his words into creation. Uh, Take, for example, the use of scripture during America's Civil War. Both sides took the scriptures and and kind of conformed it to to their their agenda, their plans, their purposes, right? The North did it, the South did it. One uh, historian, Mark Knoll, uh, found an account of a Southern preacher who interpreted Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, where Solomon is praying for God's people to be victorious in battle. And so this Southern preacher prays for the South to be victorious in battle. And and he he kind of uh, ascribes um, the, the, the South with being God's people. He says this in one of his sermons. He said, 11 tribes sought to go forth in peace from the house of political bondage. But the heart of our modern Pharaoh is hardened, that he will not let Israel go. This is, of course, the the southern preacher kind of attributing the south to to wanting to uh, secede from the the union, and and that uh, Abraham Lincoln was this modern Pharaoh who would not let God's people go. So what this preacher really does is an example of, of this misquoting of scripture. It's a sad, twisting of the word of God to fit our agenda. And, and what it does, it's dangerous, because what it does is it influences a generation of disciples with this warped view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? It's a danger, a very dangerous thing when it comes to thinking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We need to look past kind of the surface of what, what we think the statements of Scripture are or what they mean and dig deeply into what's going on in God's revel, revealed word to understand what God has for us. The danger then of misquoting Scripture is that when we, when we take that misquoted Scripture and, and just kind of you know, give it back to repeat and, 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 and affirm it and all that, is that what it does is it makes people disciples, but disciples, students of something other than God's truth. And so here's, here's the thing. Misquoting scripture is not just something, uh, a challenge that believers in the past had to deal with. It's absolutely a challenge for us today. 
Misquoting scripture happens all the time. It's all around us. It's everywhere, right? You, you see it on bumper stickers. You see it uh, in a world of, of 140 character tweets and, 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 and getting you know, this inundation of news and information on, on the internet so we're left to just kind of read headlines. There is this misinterpretation, this misquoting, the, the, the sad twisting of the meaning of scripture. And so people are, 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 are so quickly misunderstanding what God has said. And we're, we're repeating it. And, and, and so it's so dangerous because there is a generation of believers who will grow up thinking that this is what the church stands for, that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And sadly, it's just not true because what they've been told is what scripture says is a misquote, is a twisting of God's word. See, when Paul wrote to Timothy and told him that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, he wasn't saying that money itself was evil. No, he was saying that the heart of the man that's driven by his love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil, the human heart is. So our concern over the next five weeks is to look more closely at some of these passages, to, to study in our Bibles what's been said and what they mean. And, and this first passage we're going to look at this morning is found in, in, in the Old Testament. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, go ahead and turn your Bibles if you have them. If you want, you can go on your phone, your app, and, and pull up 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I'm going to read just a, a, a snippet, a, a paragraph, a, about six verses from verse 12 to 18. And I want us to pay attention here to, to what Solomon's saying. But we're going, to, we're going to explore it a little bit more deeply. Let me read for us from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 to 18. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my... Uh, my, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. This is a, a passage in response. The Lord is responding to Solomon's prayer that, that he prays in chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles. And, it, and it's, it's an interesting uh, passage for us to look at because no one can deny that things are broken in our world, that, that our world is not as it should be. That our, that our nation is not as it should be, that our state is not as it should be, that our towns are not as it should be, that our families are not as they should be. No one can deny that things are, are, are broken in this world. Now, I think we have different definitions. We can have different definitions as to what broken means based on our political views or religious and personal values. But, but we all would agree that things are broken in our world, that things are not as they should be. And, and as followers of Christ, we're not called to 
hide up inside our churches or, or inside our homes and separate ourselves from the world around us. We're not, we're not called to, 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 to kind of avoid the, the world around us and, and leave it to its own dismay. No, in, in fact, as followers of Christ, we're actually called to be influencers in our world, right? We're, we're called to have an influence on the world around us, to, to impact the world that we're living in. This is, this is what some would call our, uh, our cultural mandate given to us at creation. You may remember that shortly after God created Adam and Eve in Genesis, he, he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply, to, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to have dominion over this, right? And oftentimes we read this and we think, oh, well, God is telling Adam and Eve to, uh, to, to have big families and to, uh, to, to see their families go forth, and there is truth to that. There is, that is being said in this passage. But, but beyond that is this idea that God's people would fill the earth with the, the character of God, with the reflection of God's glory and purposes, that, that we would be representatives of God and go forth so that his plan and purposes and character would cover the face of the earth and would fill it and have dominion over it. See, this was, this was something that God intended for us to do, to go forth, Elias, I agree with you. That's a good job for us to have. But, but, but as God calls us to go forth and to do this, right, to, to fill the earth, there is something that we've come up against, that we've struggled with. And, and that thing is sin, right? What, what purpose God gave us in a good way has been warped and manipulated over time through sin. So it's no longer driven by our cultural mandate to fill the earth in, in the reflection of God's glory and goodness. But now it's, it's found that seeds have taken root in our hearts where power and, and preferences and, and our personal desires take root. So, so what we... What, what has happened so subtly has become true that what we believe is what God's desire is for this world is really when we peel back the layers of the onion, my own desires, my own preferences, my own, my own enjoyment of these past traditions and ways of being rather than wanting to see the character of God magnified in our world, the, 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 the truth of God just covering the land, right? Sin is what lies at, at the root of putting our own preferences and desires over the needs and the goods of the other. And so you see, there is, there is a struggle in our world. There is a very real struggle in our nation. And, and yet it, it, it all has its roots in the sin that we see exposed in mankind in the Garden of Eden. But where sin divides us as a nation or as a people, the gospel at its very core is meant to unite us. The gospel is meant to unite us, not so much as a, as a people that we cherish as a people, but, but in a person. See, the way sin works, it encourages us to fight for our side's values, what we think is right, what we prefer, what, we, what, what we've come to believe is true, without necessarily doing the work to say, is this truly what God has said? And, and sin will cause, whether you are a follower of God or not, sin is at work in your heart to say, my side is right, the other side are, are wrong. And not just wrong, but we demonize them. We, we characterize them as being an enemy to, to, to tear down. But that's not how the gospel works. Because what the gospel does is it calls us to be united, 
not, not in a, a community group or whatnot, but united in a person, completely outside of the context of my own life. I'm called to be united in Jesus, not in Dan, not in Dan's preferences and desires, not in what Dan thinks is right, but be united in Jesus Christ. See, I think today that the struggle in our world is often more between opposing political views or between traditional views or progressive, uh, sorry, traditional values and progressive values. Sadly to me, it, it feels like the true values of God's kingdom are not as much a part of the conversation. That, that we kind of dress up what seems to be kingdom values with really our political values or our, our traditional values or our progressive values. But here's the thing, church, we're not called to champion a political party or, or some historical tradition that we value and hold dear. It's not what the scriptures teach us. What we're called to is a, a cultural mandate, a, a cultural mandate as, as God's representatives to be fruitful, to, to multiply, to fill the earth, not with ourselves, but with God with his purposes, with his word, with his truth, with his values, with his kingdom values. To see God's reign and rule cover the land. To fill the earth with people whose lives have been overwhelmed by and transformed by the love of Jesus. So I think obeying our cultural mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it, is not such a simple or easy task. I mean, we see it even more so today. Our world is divided, not even necessarily along religious or political lines, but uh, there's many, many different fractures in our society that divide us. And so this cultural mandate to be fruitful and fill the earth, it, it, it's got a challenge ahead of it. It's no simple or easy task. And in the process of the church trying to fulfill this mandate, Right? What, what is our best of intentions to wanting to fulfill this mandate, to, to influence the world around us? There have been times where we have taken scripture and misquoted it, misrepresented what God has said. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 is an example of that, right? There are times where we've misquoted what God has said, specifically here in verse 14, where the Lord tells King Solomon, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, will forgive their land, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. What we have done from time to time, church, is that we've taken this passage of scripture and we've seen it as an invitation to national revival. That God can heal the brokenness in Amer the land of America if we as a nation will come around together where we'll seek God's face, where we turn from our wicked ways and see God forgive us our sins and heal the land that we have, have come to know and love. Now I did a quick Google search uh, of, of this to just see how true this is and quickly came up with numerous examples. One was uh, that in one state, people gathered on the courthouse steps, this is just this past year, and, and, and committed to reading the Bible publicly, driven by the principles of Second Chronicles chapter 7, that, that we we're going we're gonna to stand on various courthouses throughout the land of, the, of this state and read the scriptures out loud. And, and, and the pastor who was organizing said, 
that this is an idea that he got when praying through 2 Chronicles 7, that, that, that there's this belief behind this, this effort that in doing this, the people will be humbled, the people of their state will be humbled, they'll seek God again, they'll seek his forgiveness, he'll forgive their sins, and he'll heal the land of their state. Now, there's another pastor, another example I came across in another state, and he organized a time of prayer in each of the counties of his state. And, and, and this is part of his prayer. He says, as an ambassador of the living God, I declare this county is free from the enslavement of sin. I command justice to dwell within the gates and rest upon those chosen for God's authority. That's a pretty bold par- prayer, if you ask me. I, I, I think that there's, a, there's a, a, uh, a declaration that's made that I'm not sure that this pastor has the authority to, to declare. But what I will say is that behind this effort, behind this prayer, is the heart of a pastor who I think has misunderstood the passage. Right? He, he, uh, he's quoted as saying this, if we pray in faith, hope, and love, then God's goodness and purpose will be released on our congregation, on our communities, and on our states. Now, please hear me when I say this. Please don't misunderstand me. It's absolutely right and good and part of who we are as followers of Christ to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our state, to pray for our town, to pray for those who are in authority of our government, right? It's good. It's not wrong to do. Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, inter- intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high possessions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Right? Paul, Paul's telling Timothy, you got to teach the people to pray for those in authority, that we might have that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, right? We we should be praying for our leaders. That's a good thing. But when we're motivated to pray for our leaders in our nation because of what we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, well, the implication then is that God is holding back some blessing on our land, that, that God is not allowing our land to be peaceful, because of the wickedness of our nation. And so the way we remedy that is we are gathering to pray for the nation as the nation, right? That there's a, a national revival that's promised here in Second Chronicles 7.14. Now again, I, I believe as I study the scriptures, as I study this passage, that that's a misuse of what, Solomon, what God's communicating to Solomon here in Second Chronicles. And and that's what I'd like us to think about this morning. See, God's promise to be faithful and to forgive and heal the land is not a promise to a nation, but to a people. There's a distinction here that we need to, to, to grasp, to take hold of. God's promise to forgive and heal and to be faithful to is not a promise to a nation, a geopolitical nation, but to a people. 2 Chronicles 7.14 isn't for America or any other nation. It's for the people of God. 
Do you see that? Do you see the distinction here? Here in 2 Chronicles, the chronicler is recording a history, right? He's, Solomon is, is being recorded as calling to mind the history of Israel. After God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt, they wander through the wilderness for 40 years. Finally, they're allowed to cross the Jordan and enter into the Promised Land. They're, they're, they're empowered to defeat the wicked nations that are living in the land so that God would give that land to his, to his people as he promised them. But, but as history goes, that the, the, the promise or the, the process of getting there was not so simple. That, that there's this cycle of Israel complaining and whining and, and, and being frustrated with what they had and then God providing for them and caring for them. From Israel turning their backs on God, God uh, bringing them under judgment and them calling out to God for forgiveness and God being faithful to forgive them and bring them back into his, his care and protection. And, and, and throughout all of that, he still leads them to the promised land as he had given to, to the forefathers way before their time. And not only that, but as they get into the promised land, the, Israel is not satisfied with God as ruler and, and king over the land. And they say, we want a king like the nations around us. And so they call Saul to be their king. And if you've read through the, the books of First and Second Kings, you know that doesn't go so well. In fact, it gets pretty choppy. And to the point now where, where God says, Saul will not be king over my people. Instead, he anoints David. And, and the way that we're told things go, David prospers as a king, a, a king after God's own heart, even though David himself is sinful in his own ways. And they settle in Jerusalem. And David says, God, I want to I build a temple for your people. I want to I build a temple for your presence to meet with your people. No longer do your people need to wander through the wilderness and meet with the presence of God in a tent, in the tabernacle, let me build a permanent home for you, you here in Jerusalem. And God says, well, no, that's, that's not going to be a job for you. That's going to be a job for your son, Solomon. And so when Solomon becomes king, he begins this process of building the temple. And there in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 is the, the celebration, the dedication of the completion of the temple, where, where Solomon calls to mind, calls to memory, the promises of God for his people. Listen to what he what King Solomon prays in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. He says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled in this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. See, this, this, is, this prayer that King Solomon prays at the temple's dedication is what the Lord is responding to in Second Chronicles chapter 7. See, Solomon was calling to memory God's faithfulness to his people, his promises that he had made throughout history, his promise that he made to David that, that the, the throne of David would not go, uh, or that, that, that Israel, that God, God's people, would not go without a, a descendant of David to sit upon the throne, to reign over his kingdom. See, 
God wasn't talking about Babylon or Egypt or any other people. This is, this is why God is, is saying here in uh, verse 14 of chapter 7, if my people who are called by my name, this, this, this promise that has been made, this covenant that God has established with King David and is to be passed on, it, it is not with a geopolitical nation, not Israel as a nation, not Egypt, not Babylon, not America. It's with the people of God. At the very core of this promise is God's relationship with his people. Back in Exodus chapter 19, right around the time when God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel through Moses, when, when Moses is standing on top of Mount Sinai in verses 5 to 6, God tells Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's purposes, God's plan, is to gather together a people for his own heart. Right? It's never about this nation better than that nation as a geopolitical entity. It's not about respecting certain borders over another border. It's about a people who are called to be a people of God. In the New Testament, these very same words of God in Exodus are echoed through Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a spiritual people not a geopolitical people. We are a, 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 a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a, a people of, of priesthood. Uh, you know, the, um, I'm trying to think of the language, but this, uh, this, this gathering of priests, it, it's, not a, it, it's not a matter of, uh, of my, my DNA or my genetic background, my, my, my history. It's a matter of my identity through Christ. That we're being built up into the spiritual house together, founded in, with Jesus Christ as its head. Second Chronicles 7.14 is not some, uh, a general promise for all of creation or for the nation of America. It, it, it's a promise for God's unique people who, who are uniquely called out and created through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, through, through his death and resurrection. See, it's, it's a promise, not for national revival or a, a blessing upon a particular country. It's a promise for God's people. And, and it's a promise that God's kingdom will not pass away. At the very end of our passage this morning, verse 18 the Lord says this, he says, Then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. See, God's promise is that regardless of what's happening in history, my promise for a kingdom in which a, the, a son of David would rule over, this promise will remain. 
The, the chronicler specifically uses language around this idea of a covenant with God's people. He, he, he's, he's focused in on Solomon's words that articulate a relationship between God and his people. Not God and some nation, but God and these people who have been gathered together by God. Why? Because I think the chronicler is concerned to encourage the people of his day that just because things look a little bit different in our landscape doesn't mean that God's promise is any less true or real or, or trustworthy, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a student of history, then you know that Israel eventually divides and becomes two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, right? Well, what happens to Israel? They're defeated and they're sent into exile. What happens to Judah? They're defeated. They're sent into exile. And after Judah is defeated, where Jerusalem is located, Jerusalem is just devastated. The Babylonians destroy the temple. They, 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 they take the, the items of the temple and they, they desecrate them. So, so what are we to think when, when there's no longer a, 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 a temple, when there's no longer a throne in Jerusalem for a king of, of David's line to sit on? What are we to make of this? I think that the chronicler wants to encourage the people of faith to not lose sight of the promise of God, to not lose sight of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promise, even what their human eyes look at, and even when their human eyes look at the situations around them and it feels hopeless, it's never more hopeful because God is faithful to fulfill his promise. So even though the the the, the the throne is destroyed, and there's, there's no longer uh, appears to be a, a human king to rule on the uh, throne of David. Though no descendant of David sits on a physical throne in Jerusalem after the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem, the Davidic line still has not failed in placing a man to rule over Israel, over the people of God. See, there's a promise that we usually read around Christmas time. It's a promise found in Micah chapter 5, and it points to the birth of Christ. That's why we read it at Christmas time. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, uh, listen to, to how Jesus is referred to. The promise is this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus, a descendant of David's line, if you read in Matthew, you can read his, his family lineage, and Jesus is a descendant of David. Jesus would be ruler over Israel. Jesus would be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus, who, when speaking to his disciples about building the, the people of God, building the kingdom of God, spoke to his disciples and, and spoke about including sheep who were not of this geopolitical fold of Israel. See, Jesus who built his church upon the disciples, who, who, who sent them out to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey his commandments. Jesus is that ruler who will rule over Israel for all time. 
to the promise of God's kingdom, the promise of, of, God's, of God fulfilling uh, the, the, his care and protection and, and provision for the people of God is still true today, regardless of what the, the, the land looks like. God is fulfilling his promise. And no matter what, he will never abandon his plan or his people. So church, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not a prayer for revival for our nation. It's the heart of God's people being called back to the covenant that God established with his people. Right? It's the call of God upon his people to say, you have been given a mission. I am calling you to, to multiply, to be fruitful, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Not under your reign, not under what you think is right or what political party you support, but under the reign of King Jesus. What we need to remember above all else, church, is to pray to pray not for our nation in this regard, in this context, but to pray for the people of God, to remember God's faithfulness. So when, when we feel like things are going down the wrong path as a country, we don't lose hope. We pray to remember God's faithfulness to his people. Our hope is in him, not in, 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 in a political party or some uh, group's va- personal values or whatever. Our hope is in God. We pray to remember above all else that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't just mean where we're going to go someday, but citizens of heaven right here, right now. And we owe our greatest allegiance to King Jesus. This is not so that our nation will be blessed by God, but because it's the core of our cultural mandate to be fruitful, to fill the earth, and to subdue it under Jesus' reign as our king. And this is whether America prospers or not. You see, God's plan from the very beginning was to, to bless many nations, not just one. When God promised to make Abraham a great nation, to, to, to bless him and make his name great, it was for a reason, right? And that reason was so that in him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As as a descendant of Abraham, Abraham, the, the families of the earth will be blessed as they come to Jesus in faith. As they learn to see him as their highest authority. As they come to learn that regardless of what our circumstances around us say, he is our hope. Church, we're, we are to be a blessing to our world. But that blessing is one we receive in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So you know what? Pray, we need to pray for our country. Absolutely true. We need to pray for our state. We need to pray for our town. We need to pray for our leaders that have been elected and placed in areas of responsibility over our society. It's right and it's good. It's what Paul teaches Timothy to do. But if you're concerned for our nation, if you're concerned for the way our country is going, 
Don't pray that our nation would be humbled or or that our nation would seek God's forgiveness and return to God because America has never been in a covenant with God. Instead, pray for the church to be humbled. Pray for the church to admit our sin. Pray for the church to seek God's forgiveness. And pray for the church to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden that God intended us to be. A city that's characterized by God's grace and compassion and forgiveness. That's what we should pray for. Pray that God would empower us to be fruitful and multiply in the land as God's representatives. To fill the earth with the message of God's goodness so that more and more people would see the lives of those who have been overwhelmed by and transformed by the love of Jesus, and they too would seek God for themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that that your word, Lord, is true, that you have spoken into existence, uh, or you have spoken into our world a revelation of yourself and that this word has been recorded for us that it's not just words on a page but supernatural spiritual revelation of the God of all creation and we thank you for that Lord we ask your forgiveness for those times that we have uh, misinterpreted we have misquoted the Bible we've used it inappropriately or out of the context of how you you mean us and desire us to 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 share your word to to allow yourself to be revealed Lord, specifically, we do pray for our country. We pray for the people that make up our country. We pray for the leaders that are overseeing our country. There is no easy task before them. We, we can so easily see how divided we are as a nation. And yet, Lord, in that division, in that, in that place of strife and, and evil and wickedness that, that, that covers the land, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your people your people who are called by your name. We pray that you would empower us not not to speak boldly into our culture, but to be representatives of your grace and your goodness and your righteousness and your justice and your compassion. That we would not just talk about these ideologies that we see in scripture, but that we would live them out. That we would live out the words that that, that we have come to embrace as true in such a way that this world would not hear about what a Christian believes, but they would see a Christian, a follower of Christ, embodying the character of Christ. Lord, I pray that that would, that, that your peace would cover the land because you have sent forth your church and your peace has taken root and is taking root in your people. So Lord, send us forth, not to wage war with our culture, but to influence it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you have your way in us, first and foremost. Convict us of sin. Challenge us in those places where we need to be, uh, where, where we need to surrender our hearts more before you. Empower us to be faithful day by day. That that we would desire the words that we sang just a few moments ago, just a closer walk with you, Jesus, above all else. Lord, may May that be how our world comes to know your church. Our deep desires for you. Our humble repentance for the sin that that we fight against in our lives. And Lord, may, may the world see a church 
who holds our open hands before you seeking your provision, your care, that we are deeply dependent upon you. So Lord, have your way in us. Bless us that we might be a blessing to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, one of the ways that we have been called to, to be the people of God, to remember that we are the people of God, is in celebrating the Lord's Supper. In, in celebrating coming around this table where, where Jesus teaches us to remember his sacrifice on our behalf. But it, it's not just a celebration of remembering what he has done. But it, it is a, a moment where we remember deep within our own lives, in our own hearts, the, the, the joyous feast that is ours of life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we've done, not because of, of our strength to be faithful or to live a certain way, but purely because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. That we too are able to put to death the sin in our life and raise to new life. So when we partake of the bread at the table by faith, we're meant to partake of a, a, a beautiful feast. I know that the, the bread and the cups we're using right now is not overly flavorful, but I want you to use your imagination to think about when you sit down to a feast and you enjoy the various things that taste delicious. Think about the spiritual taste of God's grace and forgiveness, his provision in our lives. The Lord's Supper that we celebrate here this morning is something here at Trinity we invite all those who have put their faith in Jesus to celebrate with us. We invite all those who have said yes to Jesus, yes to living under his reign as our king, but yes, first and foremost, to receiving the gift that he offers us of forgiveness because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so I invite all those who have put their faith in Jesus to join us this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is, is an account of the, the, the time, uh, uh, the, night that he was be, the night before he was put on the cross, the night he was betrayed. Right? And we know the story in the Gospel of John where over a matter of three chapters we're given this close look at this last supper that he shares with his disciples, the last Passover he celebrates with them. And, and, and after the supper, he talks to them about this, instituting this new way of, this, this new way of doing the Lord's Supper to remember what he has done. To remember not just what he has done, but who you are because of that. And so we think back on that night. We, we remember that uh, on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a similar way to the bread, Jesus took the cup. And this is not just any cup. It's not just, hey, here's a cup. 
he's talking about this covenant that, that, that Jesus is establishing, a new covenant, a covenant that's established through his shed blood. That, that when we drink of this cup and we, we taste the sweetness of the juice, we're reminded of the sweetness of God's grace and his love. That, that, that the cleansing of our sin is a gift to us. And that's a sweet gift when we cherish. And so we're told, Paul tells us, in the same way, after the bread, Jesus also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so grateful for the opportunity to remember, to celebrate the gift of your forgiveness. Not just your forgiveness, but the covenant that you've made with your people, the relationship, Lord, that, that you are faithful to protect and uphold and, and to fulfill. Lord, no matter what the, the landscape of, of our world looks like, we do not lose hope. Why? Because you are faithful. Because you are faithful to the covenant that you have made with us through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Lord, we are grateful that we can ask of your forgiveness, that we can repent of our sin, and you are faithful to forgive us. None of us are perfect. No, not one. And that, Lord, is met in the very same breath with that promise that you will make us perfect as we come to you in repentance. So Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for the, 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 the thought that, uh, of a wonderful feast and the, the sweet juice that we remember the sweetness and, and the majesty of the, the feast before us that's made available through Jesus Christ alone. Lord, may that thought, may that memory as we've gathered around the Lord's table. May that memory fill us that as we go forth from today, we would be filled with gratitude and hope in you. That we wouldn't look to the world around us, but we'd look to you and to you alone. You are our King, Jesus. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. stand with us as we sing the next song. Now as we respond to God and for the, you know, just the beauty of communion, the next song that we're singing, the words are very, very simple. Um, it says, holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy, have mercy on us. It's just such a simple prayer. It literally repeats that several times. Um, and so as we come out of communion and thinking about that sacrifice and the symbol that that is, um, let's
let's just come before the Lord and remind ourselves that he really truly is holy, he is mighty, he is immortal, and to beg him, please God, have mercy on us, have mercy. Church, I want to just remind us, let's be praying for our country, but also let's be praying for the church to be faithful, to do all that God has called us to do, to be his people, to be a blessing to our world. Hey, just a quick reminder, after we close the service, we're going to be gathering in here for a quick congregational meeting about the 44 Wakeman property. Uh, feel, you're welcome to go grab a cup of coffee, come right back. Parents, if you have a little one downstairs, go ahead and go get them, and then you can come back for the meeting. Uh, but it will be fun little family time. Let me close our time in worship with God's word to us from the book of Philippians. Church, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>